Welcome to the Connected Mom Podcast, where we have real conversations helping you to connect more deeply with God, more empathically with your fellow moms, and more intentionally with your child. I'm Becky Harling, and I'm your host, and I have with me today my amazing co-host, Sarah Wildman. And Sarah, you know, the last few years... There's been a lot of uh, racial issues that have hit the forefront of the news. And so today, we're going to be diving into that as moms. What do you think? Absolutely. Well, I personally am excited to dive into this because I'm raising a seven and a nine-year-old, and these conversations come up a lot. And I think the more equipped we are as moms to talk about this, the better. So this is going to be a fantastic time to talk about it. So I hope moms can drop everything and listen in. But tell us more, Becky, about what we'll be talking about. Yeah. So moms out there, you know, you might be folding laundry or be on the treadmill or walking a baby outside. I really want you to tune into this conversation because I believe that this is an urgent hour for the church and we've got to wake up and be able to talk about this race issue with our kids. And so I'm super excited about our guest today. You know, Sarah and I were talking uh, before our guest joined us that my kids joke about, you know, when somebody's really important, they're a double namer. Well, today's guest, I want you to know, is a quadruple namer. So we have Dr. (laughs) Sandra Dalton-Smith with us. And Sandra is my friend, so I'm thrilled about that. But in addition to that, that she is an author, a best-selling author, a speaker, a board-certified physician. I mean, girl, she's smart. She has an active medical practice in Alabama. She received her BS in biochemistry at the University of Georgia. She graduated with honors from Meharry Medical College in Nashville. Uh, She has been a guest on all kinds of media. She did a TED Talks, which is amazing. She has been featured in Women's Day, Red Book, First for Women. I mean, there's so much that I could say about her, but I don't want to take up all our time just bragging on my dear friend here, but it will be in the show notes. So notice how great she is. And she's here today to talk with us about how to have colorful conversations with your kids. Now, the name of her book is Colorful Connections. And how do we bring up the topic of race with our kids? So Sandra, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Becky and Sarah. It is a pleasure to join you. Yeah. So, okay. Talk to us first about you and your family and your kids. And so tell us about that first. Yeah, so I'm a mom of two boys. The, we had our first one launch, so he's now a, a freshman in college, and so that's been interesting, having the first one out of the house. And then my other son is a junior in high school, and so we're in that that journey of getting the kids out of the house. We'll be empty nesters in another year. Wow. I, how do you feel about that, being an empty nester? I don't know how I feel about it quite yet, but... <laughs> Having the first child gone that first month, it was so bizarre because we were so used to seeing him at the dinner table every evening and, you know, keeping up with where he's coming and going and you lose all that control. So, you do. so it's been an interesting transition. 
Yeah, you lose all control when they go to college. It, I remember <laughs> that feeling, and it's very out of control. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about racial issues, and I feel like this is such an important conversation uh, for us. I know, Sarah, you have two little boys, so talk to us about that. Oh, goodness. Well, I think there can be a fear, Dr. Sandra, of messing it up. So then we avoid it completely. So I love that your book is like, hey, here (laughs) are some practical tools to talk about that. But I guess just to start the groundwork, what, why is it so important to have these conversations? You know, why do, why should we step into that? And let's start there. Yeah, I think that is the the key because for most of us, we do try to avoid uncomfortable things. And so having conversations that we don't necessarily feel like we are 100% equipped for, we tend to run from them. And I think it's that running and hiding from the conversation that has really left the church a little toxic in this area where we, we are not having the freedom to actually be able to share when we're um, insecure about something or share when we don't agree with someone about something mm-hmm. um, because we we fear that the race card, so to speak, is going to pop up. So I think for myself and my co-author, Lori Stanley Rolleveld, when we were you know, looking at this, she approached me. We didn't know each other when Whoa. this started. Oh, that's interesting. We were, it wasn't like we were Whoa, friends. Okay. You know, we, <laughs> we were barely acquaintances, if anything. We're both authors. Okay. Um, we have an agent and we had sat one time like two years ago at an at a agent's meeting kind of thing. So we barely said two words to each other other than hello. But we were familiar with each other's work. And in 2020, when everything came out and mm. all the racial tension kind of spiked and peaked, Lori wrote a blog post and uh, it gathered a lot of attention. And people started saying, you know, you need to dive deeper in this. Mm. She wrote the book, The Art of Heart Conversations. Mm. And so she's kind of known for going into heart conversations, but she'd never done any conversations on race. Mm-hmm. So she reached out to me with this email that said, hey, I have this, I, this book idea And I pitched it to my publisher and they said, you know, it'd be really great if you did this with a person who doesn't look like you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so she's like, well, this is going to sound horrible, but you're the only author I know of color. So would you want to do this book with me? (laughs) So it was, (laughs) you can imagine my thought when I got this email. I mean, honestly, I just kind of closed it up and walked away because I was like, the very same thing you said, Sarah, it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole with anybody. I don't want to bring all of that up. Mm. But no sooner had that thought left my mind than I really started thinking, why am I running from this? You know, wh- why don't I want to have this conversation? Mm. I think it was that mindset mm. that actually led me to finally say yes to her. Mm. Because if if I, as someone who is a communicator professionally, as an author and speaker, is running from communicating on the topic, what is the rest of the world doing? Mm. I love that you were honest about that, Sandra, because I think a lot of times, you know, we look at the experts in communication and we think, oh, this was easy for her, but it doesn't sound like it was easy for you. (laughs) And these conversations are challenging, you know, and we want to do it right as parents. I, I mean, I feel such a strong sense that as parents, we need to be discipling our kids. And this is an issue of discipleship. And I think for a lot of years, as you said before, the church has run from it, unfortunately. You know, so how do we open the conversation with our kids? Give us some examples because um, 
you know, a, a, a lot of times parents think, well, my child is, you know, maybe six or seven years old. They're too young for these conversations. They don't know what's happening, but they do know what's happening. And, you know, so how do we, how do we get the conversation going? I think it starts by asking and, and really observing how your kids function when they are not, when they don't know you're looking, yeah. you know, one of the, we had 12 other authors join us in the conversation. I think every single one of them were parents and one of them specifically, Maria Gill shared an experience she had with her son where he showed up, she's Filipino and he showed up in an area where um, there were not very many people who were not uh who were not white. And so he stood out because he was different than everybody else. And she said to us, you know, she mentioned in the book that, you know, initially she was like, I don't think I have to have this conversation with my son. He's a nice kid. Everybody likes him. You know, he gets along when everywhere else we've ever been. So when they're in this new location, they had like some type of play date or something that was happening and he wasn't invited mm. and everybody else was invited. Oh, man. And so then there's this conversation of, well, mommy, why, why don't they, why didn't they invite me? What's different about me? Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes it's important to, to not ignore things because the children are not ignoring them. When you observe children, you can actually see some, some just baseline racial psychology in place. Every one of us have our in-groups and out-groups that we feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And these things are not malicious necessarily. They're just how our brain functions. So you walk into a room, or I'll give an easier example that I talk about in the book. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a football mama. Mm -hmm. So my oldest son who's in I college plays football. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're sitting down and black, white, Filipino, Asian, it didn't matter what anybody was. If we were on the same team and we all had on our maroon jerseys, we were a tribe. Yeah. You weren't messing with our kid. Yeah. The other team was the enemy. So we were an in-group, they were an out-group. Well, we do the very same thing when we walk into a room and everybody in there might be of one race or one gender even. And then we look around to see who, where do I fit in? Who's my in-group? Who do I naturally feel comfortable with? Because I feel like I have a way of relating to them. Mm. And so children do the same thing. They look and see where does it look like I fit in? And so you have to be able to see, has my child developed to the point where they understand that? Even if someone is not automatically part of your in-group, you can invite them in. Mm -hmm. And I think we don't teach children that. So, okay, let's say you have a really shy child, you know, um, and, and they're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take initiative. What do you do with that? You break it down so that it doesn't seem so threatening. You know, it's one of those things where when you, um, I see it often at the like dentist office or the doctor's office, there's one little table with all the, all the toys at the table and all the kids have to come to one place. I think we have to teach the mentality of let's gather at the table together. Mm, and so that. when your child has those opportunities where they're, they might not be the initiator, mm -hmm. you know, you include, like you said, their own personalities, whether they are introvert or an extrovert, but does your child at least approach the table where other people are there mm. and they don't feel like, well, I can't touch it because you're on it and I don't, and you're not like me. Mm. So now I'm excluded from it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think my kids are at that level of, I love how you said, like, just acknowledge where they are, because I think sometimes, again, we just parents love to just like try to skirt these issues if they're uncomfortable. But we can say like, oh, my my kid doesn't see color like they just don't see it. You know, we're we're just so I don't know in the know that we just don't see that. But they do. 
right? They do see skin color and and why is I guess this is a big question. Like that is a good thing, correct? Would you agree with that? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. This is probably one of the com- uh, confrontational conversations that we had in the book because <laughs> um, Lori and I we had very an, a very open dialogue. We went back and forth. Sometimes we agreed, sometimes we didn't. Mm-hmm. We wanted people to see what does it look like to not to to have to go back and forth with someone that you don't know, but you're trying to do so with grace and with patience and with, without getting offended, with being slow to right. anger, you know, being willing to listen and not mm-hmm. just ready to talk. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things was some people, and usually with a right spirit, say, I'm colorblind, mm-hmm. you know, and they're saying it in that I'm not judging you based on your color. But what happens with that is also saying you're discounting part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if mm-hmm. excusing it as if you're going to just dismiss it as I'm going to overlook that of you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I think it's important to recognize when you say that a person of color sometimes can receive that as because I don't accept a part of you, I'm going to just ignore it and say that I'm colorblind. I don't see it. It's not a part of who you are. But it is. It's a huge being a black female is a huge part of who I am. When I walk into a room, there's no doubt of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to recognize we don't really need to be colorblind. We need to be culturally aware. There's a and there's a major difference Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. When you're culturally aware, you recognize that it's okay to have different colors and Mm -hmm. skin textures and hair textures and ethnicity and styles of dress and, and all of these things that make up our culture. And that that is the kingdom of God. It is a diverse culture that's under one kingdom. Yeah, I love Mm -hmm. that so much. You know, in the aftermath of some of the race riots we had in 2020, you know, I would hear people who are dedicated believers say, why are we having this conversation? You know, we've already dealt with this issue. We've come so far. I, I mean, how would you answer that? Sandra? I think we have come very far. I mean, my children can go to school with children that don't look like them. We're not segregated anymore. So so definitely there's been progress. Mm -hmm. But progress doesn't mean completion. It's not a finished work. And so I think because it's not a finished work, that means there's still work to do. And so that work can't be isolated just to politicians or just to, you know, Congress or whatever else that we want to try to off, you know, push it off to. It's a work that has to be done by people and the people with the greatest amount of grace and love is supposed to be the church. And so if we're talking about healing, you know, racial healing and reconciliation Mm. and that whole mindset of helping people who feel marginalized or disenfranchised, then shouldn't it be the people who are most like Jesus that are leading that initiative? Mm -hmm. Because they're the only ones that are going to be able to do so with a, with the level of of justice, grace, and mercy, because the world can't manufacture that. Mm -hmm. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The world can't manufacture Mm -hmm. it. And so if Christians aren't the ones who are stepping into their rightful place to help and lead those initiatives, it just never gets done. So we have improved without a desire for a finished work and to move forward. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you said it like that. And I, I think it, 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 you touched on something um, about empathy, really, about, you know, when we have people who feel marginalized, even if you don't feel like they are marginalized, our responsibility is to offer empathy, right? Because that's what Jesus always did. He always had a heart 
for the marginalized people. And so talk to us a little bit about empathy and how important that is in this conversation. I think that's huge because, you know, sometimes you don't know exactly the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, you know, some situations can't be helped with words necessarily. Mm-hmm. So you don't really know exactly what to say. But a big part of that, are you willing to at least sit with someone in their pain and just listen? Mm-hmm. You know, I think when right after all of the things happened at 2020, specifically with George Floyd, yeah. you know, that was like a big like explosion of oh, a thing yeah. that happened and that that hurt people from from every race. I mean, just watching it. Yeah. Was painful yes. to, to witness. Um, and so I had so many people that reached out to me and, you know, some people reached out and said, what are your thoughts on this as a black woman? And every time I got one of those, a little piece of my heart kind of felt like, oh, <laughs> really more, more in line is what is my thoughts on this as a, as believer, a human being? As a human being. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. As a human being watching something that's yes. not a movie that someone is literally dying in front of me, Um, you know, but that wasn't sometimes the question. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the questions were more in line to, um, I know this is hurting your heart because I know your heart. Mm -hmm. How can I sit with you and help you process this? Mm -hmm. It was those friends that, that really showed me that they had gotten to a place where it just wasn't about a race thing. It was about, I know this hurts you because it's hurting me. Yeah, (laughs) it's hurting me. So I know it hurts you. Mm -hmm. How can I help you process? And I think it's that desire to sit in the pain with someone, not try to fix it, not judge them for being pained by it, or try to rationalize Mm -hmm. it, but just being willing to listen to be to I call it's something that I talk about call emotional rest, just having the ability to have somebody that you can speak truthfully with, Mm -hmm. and share your emotions without fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. That leads to healing in Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. With the empathy piece, I was thinking about how one of the conversations I've had with my nine-year-old was him reading history, right? And so he had this little Mm -hmm. book and it was talking about Martin Luther King Jr. So we were talking about who he was and that naturally led into why he's a leader. Like what, what was he, he talking about? And it was, it was so interesting. Just, it broke my heart, first of all, just to present facts, right? Like this is, this is our history. This is where we've been. And what do you think about that? And I thought it it was interesting to kind of, like you said, see where he he was at initially Mm -hmm. and then um, talk about that. So I guess, are there some tips for us as like me as a mom, <laughs> when we when we have our kids recognize, right, that things are unfair in our world or someone is being treated unfairly because of how they look, because of their culture, um, what are some tips that you would give us to help our kids hmm. maybe engage in that or even speak up mm-hmm. when it's appropriate? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. I think it's it's a great opportunity every single year. Yeah. Because it's a holiday, right? Yeah. So like, your why kids are, are literally off, of off from school. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. They're literally off from school. <laughs> right. But you'll you'll find that most schools, it's a day off with no explanation. Mm, There's no explanation totally. as to why you're, you're just you got a day off. Yeah. You know, it's a fun day, and and I get that. You know, have the fun day. But what does it hurt to take 15 minutes to educate on why this is even a day? We do it for Christmas. We'll spend months talking about Christmas. Mm -hmm. We'll even spend a week talking about Thanksgiving. You know, there's certain holidays we'll Mm -hmm. spend, especially as Christians. Easter, we'll spend an entire month breaking down, you know, the story of of the gospel with our kids. So there's certain activities that we do associated to certain holidays because we view them as Christian holidays. 
why not approach Martin Luther King Day in the same way? Mm. And for that, for that right, just to be honest with you, I think so should Labor Day and Memorial Day should be approached in the same way as well to build respect for military within our kids. And so there's multiple opportunities as a parent when you don't have to make it like a homeschool session. You can make it fun. You can go, you know, one of the things that I saw that was really interesting, one parent had mentioned, and I think she said she did it with M&Ms or something like that, but she, she had like, you know, the M&Ms have all the different colors mm-hmm. and she, she played it almost like a game, like, you know, Candyland. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what if the red M&Ms never got a chance to go to the park? What if, what if we just decided red M&Ms, we don't like them. They just never get a chance to go to the park. How do you, how do you think the red M&Ms would feel? Mm. Do you think they'd be sad that they never get a chance to go? Or you could do. Uh, uh, different types of animals or different types of pets or, you know, whatever it is. And what you're doing is you're helping your child start putting themselves in the position of the person that's disenfranchised Mm. so that they can start thinking about how would I feel if I didn't get to go to the park or how would I feel if I didn't get whatever the thing is that, you know, that you're, Mm. you're bringing up to them, Mm. but there's different ways of, of helping your children actually build empathy because now they can visualize it without having a person attached to it. And then once they, they get it, then you can share the story. Well, that's who Martin Luther King was. He saw that the people who were brown weren't getting a chance to go to do this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And so he stood up and said that they they should be able to do that, just like everybody else should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And and you just go from there. I, I love that M&M illustration because I think that's so practical. <laughs> who doesn't like m and right? right? And whenever you <laughs> bring candy into a conversation with kids from my limited perspective, it's a win, <laughs> right? Because they want to go there. So, uh, Sandra, you raised these two boys. Okay, one's in college, one's a junior in high school. Um, are you okay, like sharing, like what are some of the conversations you had with your sons around this issue? I'm very, very open to sharing them because my kids are interracial, so they have had to navigate, and they are in in. We live in Alabama, but they go to a private school where they are like the one percent. Okay, they are. They are literally. There's hardly anyone in the school who is not Caucasian. Um, there's a couple of people who are from mm-hmm. other countries. Um, there's like maybe out of a school of 400, there might be like five students that are, well, maybe 10 now that are uh, black or identify as black. So it's a it, the, the way the school is put together, it's very limited in their exposure. And we have had to have these conversations. We had an oper- we had an episode where the school had to had to expel somebody mm. because of writing a racial slur on someone's car. Oh. We've, it wasn't our kid's car, but it was somebody's car yeah, who got a racial slur awful. written on it. Yeah. You know, we've had situations where people got um, detention. My son, someone made a comment to my son on Black History Month, something about, you know, um, I guess this is your month. Oh. And a uh, ex- uh, person heard it and put him on detention or, you know, he wasn't, he sent the kid home from school that day because of his attitude Mm. and talked with his parents and all of that. Mm. So my kids understand that race is an issue. They have lots of friends. They're, you know, they do their thing. They have their, their cliques as most high schools are, but they'd still have to deal with people who aren't as nice. And so my children have learned that getting angry at that person was something my husband who is Caucasian has taught them mm-hmm. is that when you hear a child, a teenager say that to you, it is be- not because of their own thoughts. It's probably because of what they're being taught at home. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't excuse them mm-hmm. because, you know, they're a teenager now. They can make up their own decision. Yeah. What comes out of their mouth, they're yeah. accountable for. 
But there's a root to that that is causing them to even think that. And so a lot of time that has been from their home. So we've taught our children, you don't get mad at the person. You just understand that that person did not did not experience the same level of grace that you've that you've had in your life to to recognize that we are all the same. Yeah. And so that person may have to go through college or, you know, go through life, you know, with these wrong mindsets till they eventually come to the point of recognition that there is no you and us and higher and lower and all of that. We're all the same. Yeah. And we always teach our kids you're at an advantage because you recognize that. So now your responsibility is simply to not allow their hatred to become part of your your identity. Mm, I love that. I I love how you have taught your kids like you're at an advantage, you know, um, because I, I think that that is so wise because it ups their responsibility to help make our world a better place, you know. And I, I think as Christian parents, you know, we teach our kids about the gospel and we, we want them to go share Jesus, you know. But talk to us a little bit about, as Christian parents, we really have a responsibility to help our kids be change agents in a world that is very colorful and beautiful. Absolutely. And I think that's why we taught our kids like that, that they're at an advantage. Because the reaction most of us would have if someone does anything like that is we would lash back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just your natural. Especially as <laughs> moms for your kids. Yeah. Right? And I have boys. So they are, and they're both, they're, they're both very athletic. They do a lot of sports. One's football, the other one's soccer and basketball. They're really athletic. You know, they, they have the kind of mentality of win, 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 go get her kind yeah. of personalities. And so the very first response is to lash back. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have to really, you know, help our children understand is that sometimes, you know, especially when we we are thinking about the life of Jesus, it's, it's a softer response that actually has the biggest effect, the ability to have self-control mm-hmm. in hard situations mm-hmm. and not just respond in your flesh, just because that's the quick and easy way of, of relieving yourself yeah. of the pain and of the discomfort. And so what we didn't recommend with people, especially like um, the administration sometimes will come and say, you know, hey, we know we know this is something you talk about. You know, is it something that you'd come to the school and share about mm-hmm. kind of thing? And out of respect to my sons, because they're still at the school, mm-hmm. I always say not till they've graduated yeah. because I know I'm their mama. Right. You know, nobody wants their mom showing up at school, you know, but, <laughs> but I've told them as soon as they're gone, I'm more than happy to come and do that yeah. because I think we, we have to, you know, start opening up conversations to help parents just be able to, you know, give grace for kids to get it wrong. You know, I think simulating conversations helpful. Um, You know, one of the things we did with the book for Colorful Connections is we had these conversation starters Mm -hmm. because Lori and I really felt like parents have the ability to leave a legacy of love Mm -hmm. within the, uh, upon the earth. And that legacy of love includes the ability to be able to converse with anybody from a place of love, respect, and grace. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be not only modeled, but practiced. Yeah. And sometimes we don't have a lot of opportunities to practice it. And so just being able to practice around your own dinner table with your kids, mm. where when something hard happens on the news, and it's all the time, there's always something oh, yeah. on the news. Seriously. When something hard happens, just say, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, you know, how do you think XYZ group feels about that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, during COVID, you know, there was this thing where for a while they, people were calling it the Asian flu. Oh, yeah. And and one of one of the contributors to the book commented on that because, you know, some of us heard that and we didn't really think 
do much about it. You know, I mean, it was like, oh, you know, whatever, it goes in one ear, one out, out the other. But to hear her pain, and she actually did a video of it, to hear her pain and processing that, and then the, res- the, the effect it had on her parents who had a Korean store. It completely changes how you look at that term. Yes. Because now it's not just this term. It's a it's a slanderous term that you actually feel the pain of the person who 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 the slander landed on. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a good illustration because I think so often, you know, comments are made flippantly on the news or whatever. Um and we don't always take the time to really process how painful that could be for somebody and the ripple effect of that. You know, I love that you brought in her parents who have a store and how that impacts them. I just, man, there are so many more questions. <laughs> that would be awesome. We could have you on for several hours, Sandra, because <laughs> I just feel like um, this is such an important conversation for our mamas to begin to have with their kids. I think we've ignored it for maybe way too long. And now we're at a a point where, you know, and, and it's not just here in America too. I mean, racial prejudice is worldwide and it, it might not be just white against Asian or Caucasian against black. It could be tribal. It could be, you know, Arabic against Jewish, but, but each of us are created in the image of God. And in heaven, I think a lot of people forget this in heaven, it's going to be so colorful. It's going to be fantastic, right? Because we're going to be worshiping with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And we're all going to be standing around the throne. And so I think part of our responsibility as parents is to prepare our kids for that moment, you know, where they come face to face with Jesus. So I want to thank you for being our guest. And I want to ask you, would you just pray over our mamas and, and, and just ask the Lord to bless them as they learn to navigate these conversations with their kids? Yes, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity and this time with, with, with these ladies. And I pray God that you will ho- open up each and every one of our hearts to be able to, to see the beauty in all of the variations of people that you've placed upon the earth. Just as Becky had been was speaking about what heaven would look like. Mm-hmm. We, I can even hear the African drums mm-hmm. and the harps from, mm-hmm. from different countries and the flutes and the cellos and, and guitars and pianos and all the different sounds of the world, God, as we enjoy those so much, God, help us to be able to enjoy the melody of colors that you've placed before us and the people that you've given us to have relationship with. And God, I just pray for each mama as she navigates those different levels of childhood and uh, into adulthood, God, that you will give them insight and wisdom on ways to to help them sh- help their children to be better stewards of their relationships, better stewards of their time and energy when when working with their friends and their classmates and their teachers and be able to invite people to the table, mm-hmm. God, invite people into a level of intimacy and relationship 
where diversity and inclusion is just a normal way of life. Mm -hmm. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you were the great example of this. And you've already given us some steps that we can begin with. Mm. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us today on the Connected Mom podcast. I do want to really push you a little bit to order this book by Sandra Dalton and her co-author. Remind us of your co-author's name, Sandra. Her name is Lori Stanley Rolleveld. And we do have a quick website. It's colorfulconnectionbooks.com. And that's where you can get the free conversation cards as well as a pre-prayed journal that you can have five days of walking in prayer through the process before you dive into the conversation. Oh, I love that. So that'll be in the show notes. Make sure you join us next time on the Connected Mom podcast. Hey, all you moms out there, this is Becky Harling, and I love creating resources to help you connect more empathically with your child. One of those resources is a book that I wrote called How to Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. One of the greatest skills you can cultivate, really enhance that connection with your child is the skill of listening. So how well do you really listen? This book is loaded with practical ideas to get your kids talking and to help you as you listen. You can buy it wherever Christian books are sold. You can order it on Amazon or anywhere else. So I hope you'll get a copy of the book and put the work into listening to your child.